0: Hey, my name is Andrew Robinson. I'm an assistant producer on the Political Climate Podcast, and this episode is brought to you with support from Lyft. Lyft is continuing its leadership in creating a cleaner, healthier, and more equitable future with a bold commitment to reach 100% electric vehicles used on the Lyft platform by 2030. The shift to EVs will create opportunities for drivers to lower their costs and keep more of their earnings. Transportation currently accounts for the largest portion of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S., and Lyft is committed to leading the way to decarbonize its platform through vehicle electrification. Learn more at lyftimpact.com
1: slash electric.
2: So for President Trump and, and the Republican Party to not engage on climate is a huge loss. It's a huge you know, slap in the face to a lot of other Republicans who have tried to lead on it. And it's it, it's just bad policy and bad politics. And then, of course, if you care about the environment, you know that you need to have both sides of the table and to only have, you know, the Democratic Party, you know, only one of the two parties, major political parties having climate as one of the as their political platform, it, it stalls progress.
3: The youth climate movement has built enormous momentum over the past few years. While progressive groups tend to be the most well-known, conservative youth activists are expanding their presence in American politics. The Republican Party stands to lose an entire generation of voters if it doesn't embrace a more environmentally friendly agenda. We speak to Benji Backer, Executive Director at the American Conservation Coalition, about what he thinks Republicans are getting right and wrong on climate heading into the 2020 election. Welcome to Political Climate, a bipartisan podcast on energy and environmental issues in America and around the world, presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute. I'm your host, Julia Piper, a contributing editor at Green Tech Media and senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Benji Backer and a group of other college-aged friends created the American Conservation Coalition in 2017 with a dream of making environmental issues nonpartisan again, like back when Nixon created the U.S. EPA. The Republican-leaning group says it's dedicated to mobilizing young people around climate action and environmental protection through common-sense, market-based, and limited government ideals, even if that means criticizing members of their own party. Over the last few years, Benji has spoken on TV, met with Trump administration leaders, testified in Congress, and more to advocate for what the American Conservation Coalition calls prosperous action on environmental issues. According to Benji and his team, the support is there, at least among young people, for politicians to take action. The ACC polled 1,000 18- to 35-year-olds earlier this year and found that 82% of those surveyed felt that climate change is important to them including 77% of right-leaning respondents and 90% of independent respondents. 76% of right-leaning people who took the poll said that Republicans should engage more on climate change and promote effective, economically sound policies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. A strong majority of respondents who identify as either conservative, Republican, or right leaning said that they would be more likely to vote for Republican candidates in this election who accept that climate change is real. This week, Benji, who recently graduated from the University of Washington, embarked on a 50 day long journey across the country in a Tesla to highlight how local leaders from across the political spectrum are acting on climate. Benji and his team will also highlight key environmental solutions and themes for politicians to consider as the country heads toward voting day. I speak to Benji about what young conservative climate activists want, along with my co-host, Democrat Brandon Hurlbut, former chief of staff at the Department of Energy and current clean tech investor, and Republican Shane Skelton, former energy advisor to Paul Ryan and current partner at consulting firm S2C Pacific. This conversation gets a little heated at times, I'll admit, but I think it hits on some of the key political tensions that exist in the climate community today. And with that teaser, here's our interview. Hey, Benji. Good to see you. You're, you're back on Political Climate. I can't believe it's been two years since we had you on last time. Time really flies. So I know you've been crazy busy. You've been all over the place since we last spoke. You've been on TV. You graduated from university. And now you are literally on the road crossing the country on a 45 day EV road trip. Where are you now? What are you doing? Tell us what that's all about.
2: Yeah, I'm in Wyoming right now about to kick off a what is actually going to be a 50 plus day road trip across the country in a Tesla X visiting 32 different stops, 25 plus different states to showcase how local leadership and corporate leadership can help solve climate change and highlighting some of the amazing initiatives that are happening. And it's really exciting because, well, A, I think it's one of the few things that we can do during COVID to like showcase the need for climate action and also provide an uplifting story about what people are doing. But B, it, it's just, I think it's going to be a positive break from whatever is happening with the election. And it allows people to see that there is some hope and there is some positivity that can be found in in the amazing work that's happening on climate change. And then also, you know, very much understanding that there needs to be a lot more.
0: And Benji also, you know, incidentally, whether intentional or not, driving an EV all over the country helps demonstrate to folks that range anxiety should be a thing of the past and that you can take a road trip, whether by yourself, with your colleagues, with your family in a zero emissions vehicle without worrying about running out of power or anything like that. Because I think some of those old talking points still exist, even though they're not real.
2: That's so true, because we're, we're driving a Tesla X, which has a long range and can be charged via the supercharging stations. But it shows that the future is already here. You know, you can drive for 50 days across the country in a Tesla X and not just take, you know, little stops along the way.
3: So, for our listeners who can't see you, I know you are in a field right now, and that's why there's some wind noise coming through. So, where are you exactly?
2: Yeah, I'm just outside of Jackson, uh, Wyoming, where we'll be kicking off the podcast. And you know, I came out here, and we decided to kick it off here in Jackson because we thought there there really isn't anything more iconic in terms of beautiful natural view to showcase the importance of nature, like the Tetons, uh, and it's one of my favorite places. It's the place that I would say is my favorite place um, as an environmental place in the entire United States. And so there's no better place to kick it off than here. And so we're just outside Jackson kind of preparing for this incredible road trip, you know, locking up some of the final podcasts that we're going to film and strategizing with the production team because we have an entire production team coming with us to do video podcasts at each stop. And we're doing almost two podcasts at each stop that we have, uh, with CEOs of companies, local leaders, like tribal leaders, um, local elected officials, people like that. And we're just kind of here at Jackson prepping for this big journey uh, that's going to be basically done from now, tomorrow, until Election Day.
3: What's the podcast called?
2: It's called The Electric Election Road Trip. And we feel like it's really important in an election where there isn't a lot of conversation happening around the environment right now for, for very often good reason Um, with everything going on economically and with COVID there needs to be attention shed on the importance of climate action during such a divisive and important, you know, political moment in history. And one of the things that I believe and that ACC believes is that, you need to have solutions at all levels, all, you know, solutions will not only come from the federal government or the private sector. They'll come from all levels of government and the private sector and individuals. And we want to showcase that on this road trip because I think we're we're in a time where we, especially in an election year, where we think everything is a one size fits all um, objective and that we have to do X, Y or Z, otherwise nothing will happen. And the reality is you need everyone working together in tandem to fix this challenge. It can't just be, you know, seen as a California, you know, related problem and in and a, and a California based solution, you know, and I think that that's what people think of when they think of climate change in the United States or, you know, they think of the Green New Deal or they think of, a, you know, they think of certain things. They think of California, the Green New Deal, Al Gore and. to to a lot of people that means one thing and that is like big government and of course the government has a role to play in fighting climate change but there are also you know really incredible leaders at the local level incredible business leaders that aren't just talking about doing something about climate change they're actually doing something about climate change and we want to showcase that during the election with our electric election road trip. I would agree that There is a lot happening at the local level. States like
1: New York, many states have passed 100% uh, clean energy uh, mandates. Benji, where is that happening in Republican areas? Can you educate me? (laughs)
2: The results speak for themselves. The three most climate-friendly states in the entire country in terms of reducing emissions um, in the past few years are Republican states. It's New Hampshire with Governor Sununu, it's Massachusetts uh, with Governor Baker, and it's Maryland with Governor Hogan. And those three leaders as Republicans at the state level have been pioneers at embracing clean energy and embracing market-based solutions and the results actually speak to uh, for themselves it's not just a politician saying we're going to have 100% by blah 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 they're actually doing it they actually have results they're not just claiming that you know they're going to do something by x date and that's what we want to showcase on this podcast is that what does that mean
1: what are they doing that you're saying they're actually doing it What is that? What's different about that than what they're doing in some of these other states that have sort of a higher profile?
2: In states like New York, where you have a governor that is seen as a pro climate governor, emissions aren't going down as dramatically as they are in states like Massachusetts and Maryland and New Hampshire, where there are pro climate governors who are Republican and are putting their, you know, their values into practice even more quickly. They're not virtue signaling, in my opinion, with, you know. Pledges—they're actually implementing policies and well, laws. These are just pledges; these are laws that are on the books, right? In New York and California, I, I mean, laws are important, right? Yeah, right. We all know that, but the results have to speak for themselves. And so, yes, we—we we need. Like, I'm not saying that those those policies won't work in New York or those policies won't work in certain states. I'm saying that the to your question that. The three most pro-climate states in the United States over the last few years are led by Republicans. And that's a story that is really important to tell, to to not say that Democrats are are not pro-environment or aren't tackling climate change, but that Republicans can be at the table, too, that businesses can be at the table, too, that, you know, states like Nebraska, you know, South Dakota, which we're visiting in a couple of weeks, or you know Florida or Alabama, which we're going to visit in a couple of weeks. States like that can also be at the forefront of this. Like that's that's the point of this is that you know this isn't just a Democrat led solution. This is a this is a cross partisan, trans partisan, bipartisan uh, issue that both sides are are needing to take bigger steps and leaps on. And that businesses need to take bigger steps and leaps on, but that there already are a lot of trends in the right direction that are worth showcasing so that can be replicated in other places around the country. And in a state like Massachusetts or Maryland, which we also will be visiting with Governor Hogan and Governor Baker, the results speak for themselves. And I think that that's a story that needs to be shared.
1: What are the results? They're
2: leading the country in lowering emissions at the statewide level in the past few years. That's what fighting quite climate change should be about, right? Is 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 those results of how we can lower emissions. And we need to be looking at that as we're looking at how we combat climate change, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I'm not trying to start pick a fight. I'm just curious. I didn't what what are the metrics? They're they're lowering it from there's like a baseline and they've had a, a larger decrease over the last couple of years.
2: Or I I just was hoping to get more specificity on when you say they're lowering emissions compared to previous years of carbon emissions in those states in each respective state each state emits a certain amount of carbon each year because of transportation and energy and everything that goes on in that state within the last few years at the levels of carbon emissions that there were in 2017 and 2018 three states that have led the country in decreasing their emissions each year and those are Massachusetts New Hampshire and Maryland.
3: Well, there's lots to be said for state action. Absolutely, we had a you know Pat Wood, a Republican, uh, former Texas utility regulator, FERC chairman on the show, talking about how Texas has gone green, uh, not necessarily because it's going blue uh, <laughs> from being a red state, um, but you know mandates did right. play a role there. Uh, he also pointed to California leading the way and making a lot of the technologies we use today cheaper. A lot of California you know residents paid for that. So there's something to be said for being at the at the tip of the spear on it. And and these big economies transitioning is important to note, too. So, yeah, like you were saying, Benji, I don't think you can take away from what one state or another has done, but interesting to see the action really being at the states. That said, I think the conflict really comes at the federal level. I can just quickly
2: jump in. While that's true and California has, you know, progressed this issue in a lot of ways, we can't pretend like climate change is just an issue that California can and is solving. There are solutions that are happening in other parts of the country that need to be showcased. And, you know, we actually aren't visiting California because we think that there are a lot of stories that haven't been told that are happening in other parts of the country. And we can't just have California engaged on climate. We need to have, you know, middle American states engaged on climate. We need to have the Midwest engaged. We need to have the Southeast engaged. And so that's not to say that, you know, California is irrelevant in this conversation. It's actually the opposite. It's saying, okay, you know, California has taken a lot of steps on climate, but there are other places that it needs to happen. And there are other places that it is happening. And those are stories that need to be replicated. I, I would just say that it, it's kind of a stretch to say it's, you know, Republicans
1: are leading on this too. I mean, those are states with democratic legislatures that have you know, passed that bill. Very happy that Republican governors have signed that legislation and are doing this. But Uh, Can you point to any state that you've had a Republican state legislature and a Republican governor do
2: this? I actually like I think this is kind of frustrating. Right. Like I I, I'm not saying that Democrats aren't leading in different areas. I'm saying that Republicans are leading, too, and that those stories need to be showcased. I, I, I don't know why that has to be a partisan you know argument there like I, I think that that's part of the problem
0: I would argue not to step on you here Benji, but I would argue that what we would like to see at the federal level and at the state level is divided government be able to take meaningful action on climate because it isn't very often that you get a president and a Senate I'm speaking just at the federal level now a president and a Senate and the White House of the I'm sorry a president and the Senate and the house of the same party, especially if you have the filibuster in place where you need 60 votes. Uh, I think, you know, complete control is more likely in state levels uh, than it is at the federal level. But wouldn't we all want to just know that climate action will continue to progress regardless of who wins on any particular election? And I, I think that's a positive sign, not a negative one.
2: That's exactly it. And, and that, I, lo- I love that point because you can have a Republican governor with a Democratic legislature and still get things done. And we should be doing that at the federal level, regardless of how it's shaken up. Like Republicans and Democrats can't have a voice at that table on the federal level and it is starting to happen. You're seeing Republicans in the House and Senate put together their own climate plans with Democrats. We can't have this kind of ideology that the, the entire country is divided on this and that we can't work together to fight climate change across party lines. This this road trip that you know I'm embarking on isn't even about the politics of it. It's about these local solutions. But there is a, an incredible story to be told about, to your point, the divided government working together to get this done no matter who's in charge at what level. All I was saying was I would love for that to be true and that there would be more of this, but
1: the single biggest impediment to climate has been the Republican Party. That, like, you just have to acknowledge that. That's just a fact.
3: I think the federal level is a really critical thing to parse out here, because I think that's where we see a lot more gridlock and a lot more frustration, and it's playing out, especially now, in a really toxic way leading up to the election, Um, or not toxic, depending on your perspective. Maybe it's much needed. My point here is uh, even your organization, Benji, has called out the Republican Party on the national level, specifically following the Republican National Convention, saying there wasn't enough focus on climate. Discuss what your point was there.
2: I think to to what I've been saying, you know, even over the course of this discussion, there has been a lot of movement within the Republican Party on climate in the right direction. It's nowhere near where it needs to be. And but it, it is heading in the right direction because of the work of ACC and others. And to see that on the federal level in the Republican National Convention, that there wasn't a mention of climate change and that it wasn't in the platform again, you know was very frustrating for a lot of young Americans who lean conservative and want action on climate and you know the, the Republican party will lose a generation of young voters and they already are starting to if they don't tackle climate change head on and it sends a negative message when people in today's world are only paying attention to presidential politics for the most part and even you know, even if there are localized solutions and even if there are Republican governors leading on climate and even if those things are happening, you know, it is really important for people to understand at the federal level that the this that the, that the party can do the same thing. And so for President Trump and, and the Republican Party to not engage on climate is a huge loss. It's a huge you know, slap in the face to a lot of other Republicans who have tried to lead on it. And it's it's just bad policy and bad politics. And then, of course, if you care about the environment, you know that you need to have both sides at the table. And to only have, you know, the Democratic Party, you know, only one of the two parties, major political parties, having climate as one of their as their political platform, it it stalls progress. So, you know, we made a, a large campaign called hashtag What About Climate that basically said. As young conservatives, and we had over five million people engage on this. As young conservatives, we want action on climate, and we feel left behind by not having climate on the platform for this year's convention. And as an organization, and as a as an individual, you know we lobbied a ton uh, to the RNC to say. You have to take this issue head on, not lobbying in like the in like the political sense, but just advocating for like the RNC. You have to you have to take this head on. Here's the polling. Here's the data. Here are the people. You know, here are the activists. And while you have people like Kevin McCarthy and and, you know, Charlie Baker and and others, you know, leaning into that, which is so exciting, seeing the president and the RNC not do that is is frustrating.
0: Benji, can I ask, um, we've had conversations in the past, both on this podcast and and just on a a personal level, and we've talked about just as Republicans who who share the same goals, posture. You know, how how do we want to message? What's the best way to approach uh, Republicans on this issue who want to be involved, um, but maybe don't feel comfortable or maybe just don't know how? And uh, I have noticed this is an observation. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You personally and ACC have seemed to me over the past, I'd say, five or six months to be more outspoken, like in the ads you put on television um, and some of the quotes that I've seen coming from you. All the stuff I agree with, but it does seem like you're taking a, a harder stance and, hey, it's time to act and it's time to act now. Is that true? And if so, what led to that that change in posture?
2: Yeah, no, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, and even just before I get to that, to, to answer the first part of your question in a, in, in a way, how do we get through to people who might not be engaged on this issue yet? I, I do want to make a plug here to say that it is those localized solutions. It is those state-based solutions. It is those market-based, you know, corporate-led solutions that people can relate to. It's really hard to relate to a big issue like climate change if you're not already engaged with it. And, you know, as a climate activist, it's frustrating when you, when you can't get through to people with you know the science and the data, but science and data doesn't convince people. What convinces people is things that happen in their own backyard—the the the smoke and the haze and the fires of, the, of of my backdrop right here that have just started to engulf this area today, and they've come from my you know home state of Washington and, and California and other places. You know it's 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 those tangible localized solutions and you know and problems that people can latch onto, and I think we need to do a better job of that, and that's. That's what the theme of the electric election road trip is. And in terms of our messaging, what we've really realized over the last, you know, six to seven months as an organization and as the leader of, of ACC and with my, with my partners, you know, Quill and Danielle, we basically said we needed climate change reform yesterday and at the federal level and all over the country. And we can't, you know, wait around and, and beat around the bush. We, we actually have to go full in and say, say what needs to be said. And what needs to be said here is that we need both sides of the table. We need solutions at all levels. We can't win. And so as an organization, we've taken a bolder stance because we have an important role in this conversation and we need to live up to the standard that we want from others and that we want to see in terms of policy. And we want to be able to look back at uh, at our initiative in a few decades and say, we were part of the solution to climate change instead of... We were waiting for the solution to climate change.
3: So Shane mentioned your ad there, and I want to take a second on that. This is the ad that your group, the American Conservation Coalition, ran on Fox News in June. It features past Republican presidents, such as George H.W. Bush, talking about the importance of environmental protection. Let's play a clip.
0: As we peer into society's future, We must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. I would start by integrating environmental considerations into all policy decisions. Successful economic development and environmental protection go hand in hand. The
1: future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. To the brave.
3: I'll note for our listeners that as that ad ends, text pops up that reads, how we rebuild is how we'll be remembered. Join the young conservatives fighting for a clean future. So Benji, you guys are engaging here on the need for rebuilding the economy post-COVID in a more sustainable way. Reiterate in your own words, you know what you're, you what the takeaway you want people what you want people to take away from this.
2: Yeah, I mean, over the past six or seven months of, of the United States's, you know, really tough battle with coronavirus, we have seen an economic downturn that was unprecedented and was unexpected, and that will cause a lot of damage long term to the american economy and it will it will it will make it obvious that we need to rebuild in some way and from president trump saying we need a 2 trillion dollar infrastructure package to the democrats saying we need something actually somewhat similar as an organization we've said okay well what that needs to look like is rebuilding for the future not just thinking how do we re- rebuild from the past and and rebuild our economy from what we've already learned about you know America and and how we can succeed economically we also need to be looking towards the future there are 1.5 million clean energy uh, and energy efficiency jobs in the United States we need to continue building on that that is where we can succeed economically but we need to build the infrastructure for that we need to be able to build more electric vehicle charging stations so that when I travel around the country it's a little bit easier you know for everyone and we need to be able to to, to have more clean energy in, in every state nationwide. We need to be able uh, to have better climate adaptation, especially along the coasts. We need to manage our force. Like we need to do all these sorts of things and we need to do them post-COVID in a way that helps rebuild the American economy, You know, incentivize the technology that will get us into the future and provide you know high quality, high paying jobs for all Americans. You can do that most effectively by also fighting climate change at the same time. And so for us, that ad was a no-brainer. And it's something that we are probably going to pick up again in the the coming months, regardless of who wins uh, the presidency, because Congress has a decision to make. Do we want to wait for the solutions to happen in the future or do we want to act now? Do we want to put the future first? And that is something that ACC will always be advocating for, is putting the future first, especially as a youth-based organization, to say, We can't wait for another economic downturn to rebuild the American economy in a sustainable pro-climate way. We need to do it right now, and we have an opportunity to, and it could maybe be a silver lining amidst a really, really tough time for a lot of people.
3: Can I ask for uh, a little more specific? I know you champion, you know, market-based, pragmatic solutions. So we've heard a lot of things around a green recovery that would include something like, uh, you know, a climate core, employing young people to go build trees, um, varying levels even beyond that of government intervention and creating programs and funding. So where do you guys fall on that scale of how much you would want the government to get involved versus other systems they would set up and let the markets run? How would you describe that? Give some meat on the bones for us.
2: Yeah. Well, to to even hit on your point of a civilian conservation corps, that's something that we do think, you know, civilian conservation corps, civilian climate corps, part two, you know, we think would be a really important initiative and help get people who may not have that connection to nature back, you know, back out in a working, in a working place, but also help rebuild the American economy. I think that would be something that a lot of conservatives would actually support. And the polling shows that, and there has been a lot of conservative advocacy for it, you know, on the, on the activist side at the very least. We also think that, most of these policies need to be from the incentivizing approach rather than, you know, it's getting projects off the ground. It's investing in the future. It's it's less about regulation. It's more about economic stimulation. And that can happen. I mean, we could have an hour plus podcast just talking about the different types of solutions we need on climate from energy to forest management to all those sorts of solutions. But at the end of the day, you know, we we know that solutions come quicker, faster, and more um, productively when we have an opportunity to incentivize the market to do the right thing. And at the national level, if we're pouring money into infrastructure specifically, we can rebuild America's infrastructure in a way that is pro-climate. So you know, upgrading our, our, our vehicle infrastructure, upgrading our roads, you know, restoring our ocean waterways, you know, doing those sorts of things that, have long-term impacts, but also create a lot of jobs. I mean, that is going to be something that Congress is going to have to come up with a plan for. And I actually think that there is a really good start to what those solutions could look like in 12 bipartisan bills that exist in Congress right now around climate change that we've included as part of our American climate contract, which is at climatesolution.eco. There's 12 bipartisan bills that invest in the future of American you know, technology around climate and American infrastructure around climate, they exist right now. Like, they're, they're not even part of this, you know, stimulus package yet because that doesn't exist. Like, they're there right now and they're being held up because, you know, who knows why, but we need to be able to push those things through the finish line.
1: <laughs> no, there's an answer to that question. It's held up by Mitch McConnell and President Trump. That's why it's held up. It's not who knows.
2: i I mean... There are certain bills within that that both have advocated for. Um, So I would also disagree with that. I mean, to make everything about, you know, President Trump or, or Mitch McConnell is false. I mean, they they have had a poor track record on climate, but we we can't use that as an excuse to not get things done in Congress. And to be quite honest, both sides, Republicans and Democrats in the House and Senate are trying to refuse each other a win during an election year to get those things across the finish line. And I've heard it from Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate. And that's unacceptable. I'm not saying that Republicans are in the right here. I'm saying there are bipartisan bills that are very much needing to get across the finish line. And there are people on both sides that just refuse to want to give the other side a win. And that includes President Trump. That includes Mitch McConnell. But we have you can't just you know, it's not as simple as those two people holding everything up because Nancy Pelosi last year you know, held up a really important carbon capture and energy storage bill um, because she didn't want to give a Republican a win uh, on the East Coast. So, I mean, it happens. And, and that's the politics of climate that shouldn't exist. As young people, you know, climate change isn't political. We want to get these things done regardless of political party. And there are Republicans who want to get this done. There are Democrats that want to get this done. But until both sides you know, refuse to give each other a win, especially at the federal level, it's going to be really tough.
0: Yeah, Brandon, on that point, you, uh, you may recall, we did an episode, just you and I, I don't think we had a guest about, uh, and Julie, of course, but I mean, I don't think we had a guest arguing the, the um, their side of the politics, but on that storage bill that Pelosi held up for, for seemingly no reason. And at the time, I think our discussion was around, should Democrats be refusing smaller targeted solutions to try to, you know, use that capital to make Republicans pass something much bigger and more robust? I think we had different perspectives on that. But but now where we are, two months out from an election, knowing what's going on out west and what's going on across the country. Brandon, would you be in a position where you would say, yes, of course, if McConnell passes these clean energy bills, Pelosi should take them up? Or would you say, no, 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 if it's not the big enchilada, we shouldn't do it?
1: It's a good question. I mean, I think it's, um, I think we need to do as much as possible, as quickly as possible. And so if the deal was uh, we're going to do this and then we're going to take it back up in the next Congress right away and we're going to work together to pass policies that would get us on a path to uh, keeping, you know, at one and a half degrees Celsius to two degrees Celsius, uh, then I would be okay with that. But if the sentiment was, uh, this is all we're going to do on climate, this is all the Republicans are going to do, uh, that's a different story,
2: and if I can jump in there, I mean, I think that that you know I think that mindset is is a really good mindset that we we do need to just take steps in the right direction, but i I think we have to make it less about like two point five, one point five, two point you know two 0. We need to start taking steps Why? From our- that's the science, benji we but that's the science like mean, that's what's Brandon, if we get hung up on on numbers and we actually aren't passing bills, what's what are we actually doing? I mean, at the end of the day, we aren't taking steps in the right direction. The science should drive it
1: all. I mean, that's how we got into this mess with coronavirus. It's just insane.
2: Let me finish. Sure. We are stuck at the one-yard line of the opposing side's field, or on our own side of the field. We aren't taking first downs. We aren't taking, you know – We aren't aren't taking steps down the field because we're so worried about that big enchilada. Why don't we start taking steps down the field right now? Because regardless, it it doesn't even matter if we, you know, if you agree on 2.5 or 1.5, if we aren't doing anything about it right now, then what's the point of even arguing about 2.5 or 1.5? If we aren't exploiting political capital and getting solutions done now, we are going to be in the same place that we were. In 2010, when we, when we wanted to get something done, we're in the same place right now because we've been waiting for that big answer. We've been waiting for the big solution, and it doesn't always work that way.
1: To, to your example, we are on the one-yard line, but we're in the two-minute drill in the fourth quarter. So that analogy of, like, running the ball, you know, getting a couple you know, quick first downs when you're in the two-minute drill and you got 100 yards to go – it doesn't work. We need to start throwing the ball down the field because there is a shot clock on this. This is different than other issues. There is a shot clock.
2: Even if there is, you know, two minutes left, you know, we have we have limited time to fight climate change. But you still are strategic about taking steps down the field. You don't just throw a hail mary at the one yard line and hope that it hope that it works. That's not how it works. You know, you you. I mean, football just started back up on Thursday. Thank God. And uh, you know. <laughs> You you see that it, we can agree on. <laughs> you, you try to run you, you try to run, run corner routes and get some first downs and get down the field so you can maybe kick you know a field goal or score a touchdown before the time you know lapses. Like you don't just throw a hail mary at the at the one yard line. So in the hypothetical that we are in the two minute drill, you still have to be strategic about trying to get first downs and taking steps in the right direction. And we've been waiting way too long for that hail mary play. And it's allowed us to get closer and closer to the two-minute drill without actually taking steps in the right direction. And that is really frustrating as somebody who has to deal with this for the rest of their life.
3: I'm learning so much about sports today. So exciting. I thought we were talking about climate, but I'm getting a whole lesson in football. It's very exciting.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A corner (laughs) route is uh, irrelevant. Let's just say that.
1: But honestly, that's where we could agree. You know, it's like – if. Right now, what the Republicans have been talking about is, like, let's hand the ball off on the one-yard line. If you're suggesting, like, hey, we're going to do some 20-yard, 30-yard routes or we're going to get down the field a little bit, not a Hail Mary, but, like, make some meaningful progress, I'd be for that, Benji.
2: I disagree that the policies that both sides, Republicans and Democrats, have put bills together on are just handoffs. I think that they're great steps in the right direction. And they're way better than where we're at right now. And they're way better than having no plays at all. So, you know, in in the in the essence of fighting climate change, where the United States is decreasing its emissions, and the corporate and local leadership is working, the federal government actually has to start doing something about it. And until until they start taking steps in the right direction, there will be no steps at all.
3: So I want to touch quickly on some recent speeches that happened um, before going to our final segment, Say Something Nice, where we have to say something redeeming about the opposing political party. It can be tongue in cheek, but get, get that in your brain, Benji. A little
0: teaser here. I got a good one today. I got, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not doing a BS one today. I got a good one.
3: Excellent. Well, I do wanna to touch on some recent speeches. Uh, President Trump went to Jupiter, Florida on September 8th and discussed his, quote, environmental accomplishments. I think a lot of people who work on climate acknowledge that his acknowledge that his administration has not been super uh, forward on climate issues. But there's been a lot of regulatory rollbacks and I understand there's some justification for that, but I think the net result is at the federal level, it's not effectively reducing carbon emissions. So Benji, I wanted to hear from you. You know, President Trump signed an executive order extending the moratorium on offshore drilling on Florida's Gulf Coast and expanding it into Florida's Atlantic coast, uh, as well as the coast of Georgia and South Carolina. Do you think that that is enough? Is that the kind of movement you want to see? Do you view that purely as political pandering, or you'll take that win?
2: I personally believe that, as many people do, that President Trump's record on climate is very poor. And on conservation, he's done some really good things and signed some really great laws that Congress has passed. But on climate specifically, it has been really frustrating to watch. Now, at the same time, last week, he signed, you know, he pledged to to, to cut offshore drilling. And, and it, it was a reversal of where he was a couple of years ago. And I think regardless, and I think it's too soon to say if it's political pandering or if he's starting to get it or whatever. And the optimist would say he's starting to get it. The The pessimist would say it's political pandering. At the end of the day, to me, it doesn't really matter because it shows that in those states where climate change is impacting people the most, Republicans and Democrats are standing enough up enough to say that President Trump, you need to do something different on this. And you're seeing even the most Republican members of those Congressional districts, or um, you know, governors or or senators, say the exact same thing. Who even haven't in the past been outspoken on climate. So the point I'm trying to make is, regardless of it's political pandering or if it's a step in the right direction for him on climate specifically, he's feeling the pressure from his own base to do something more proactively on climate, and that's the power of the of an organization like ACC because. If you're feeling the pressure from the base of, you know, whatever side or just from your constituency in general, regardless of their political affiliation, you're more likely to actually do something about it. And this to me was an incredible step politically in the in the scheme of his history to say, wow, the pendulum really is changing. This is becoming less of a partisan issue. And in some of these most, some of the most red states in the country or some of the most conservative states in the country, they are also standing up and saying they want to prioritize the environment on both sides of the aisle. I
1: think you know, that that is uh, just false. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Trump said today in a briefing in California uh, about the wildfires, uh, it will get colder. Uh, and when, then, when he was told the science doesn't support that, he said the science doesn't actually know. Uh, that's that's a that, that is I mean, President
3: Trump though. Benji was talking about the populace in the state and Trump, whether or not he really wants to having to respond to it. However, your point about Trump himself denying some of the basic climate science, I think, is related but separate. Yeah, this in is state. part
2: of the frustrating part for me. Like I, ju- I just admitted that I don't like Trump's climate record, Brandon, and then you made it about no, Trump. but you
3: were saying that
1: like the optimist, he could be changing. He's not changing. He, what he is saying
2: is t- completely damaging. He, he changed his mind on offshore drilling off the coasts of the ocean. That's a pretty big deal. Like, regardless of what he said in California today, that's a different issue. And, like, again, this isn't just about Trump. Like, this is a pendulum shift in those states to say that offshore drilling off the coast of their beautiful waters is not worth it. And that's that's the power of having people stand up in their local communities who are Republican, regardless of what he said today. And, I, and I've honestly been off the grid today and I just got back, so I have no idea what he said. But he says a lot of things. But he said a few years ago that he supported offshore drilling and I was the first to be in the Department of the Interior to say no on that. Well, that changed for whatever reason, and that's big regardless of the reasoning behind it. And it doesn't mean that he is shifting on climate, but what it means is that there's a shift in those states with people who lean conservative that don't want that to happen, which is a big deal.
3: Brandon, let's go to the Biden speech. We're speaking on a Monday. Biden also gave a speech just today. I think he really highlighted the wildfires and the link to climate there, Uh, you know, maybe responding to Trump in that respect. Can you give us a quick summary of what Biden said and what you took away from it?
1: Sure. My takeaway was a few things. Um, He spoke about the urgency, you know, of the issue. Um, he spoke plainly about it. You know, one of the things, um, he called, uh, Trump a climate arsonist. That's what he is. Uh, and you know, people may not think that that is, um, that's not going to help partisanship, but like, we have to call it like we see it, uh, and, and you know, and explain to people what the dangers are of this reelection. I mean, it would be, It would be impossible to deal with these issues like the wildfires, like the droughts, like the flooding in the Midwest, like the derecho in Iowa, like the hurricanes, if Trump or congressional Republicans are reelected. And so I think he laid that out very plainly. He talked about his Build Back Better plan, which we've talked about on the show, Uh, things like 500,000 EV chargers so Benji can drive uh, even more easily across the country in his EV, which I wholeheartedly support. Um, So it was great to see a speech where uh, the Democratic nominee focused totally on climate, the dangers uh, of the status quo uh, and laid out forward leaning policies to solve this issue that matches the science. That's the key here. It needs to match uh, the science. And it's such a contrast to what Trump said today. And just another thing I wanted to add about how it's not just about Trump, uh, but what's happening in this administration, you know, there is the Atlantic had an article this week, not the one where the president called, you know, people who served in our country suckers and losers, not that one. But there was another article about how there was an NREL study about the grid. And it was about connecting the east and west grid and how it could save taxpayers billions of dollars. It could unlock even more renewable energy production, make the grid much more efficient. And because it would hurt coal, that study was buried. There are political appointees in the Department of Energy and in the the Trump administration who buried that report and would not let it uh, get the exposure it deserved. So this is what we're dealing with here. We're not just dealing with Trump. We're dealing with a pervasive thing of, of corruption, where we're politicizing what national laboratory experts have on, you know, scientific research that's being politicized in the, you know, in the the DHS uh, with the CDC it's being politicized in the department of energy and the national renewable energy lab. This is so dangerous people.
0: A couple of things, uh, Brandon. They didn't do a very good job bearing it because I just I'm a big fan of, of expanding transmission for all the reasons that that you mentioned. Obviously, you can get I don't actually think it, it does hurt coal all that much. I think it just gives better market access to renewables and, and more open spaces. But I just cited that memo uh, in a, uh, that report in a climate memo
1: I wrote uh, or uh, a transmission memo I wrote for a client last week. So they haven't been able to finalize the study, Shane. They've been slow walking it. And if you re- look at this article and they they did a Freedom
2: of Information Act Uh, on all these emails and they were actively trying to suppress it. Brandon, this is, again, I think, I think you're just like, you're, you're being really narrow minded here. Like this isn't just like I've said, and and Shane and and any other like conservative leaning person would say who cares about this issue that Trump has a bad record on climate and, and, and an abysmal record on climate, but nothing we say is like good enough, right? Like I'm about to go visit NREL, but you don't, really care about that because you're worried about like what I'm saying isn't enough. Like the, the math isn't adding up here, man. It's math. not enough. <laughs> These like little small measures aren't going to do it. <laughs> you're politicizing it. You know, that that's the problem. You, you because know, you're thinking about it in one <laughs> lens. It has become political. <laughs> you're putting it in one lens and that's Donald Trump. And, and the issue is so much bigger than that. Like we have.
1: No, I'm not. Benji. I'm talking about how it's pervasive across Congress,
2: Brandon. Ninety percent of your comments right now have been about Trump. Actually, ninety-five. Actually, everything you've said so far has been about Trump. Like, take it off your mind. The entire Republican
1: elected official leadership in in, in the Congress has supported him on this. They have never stood up to him and his delinquency on this issue.
2: The House Minority Leader of the Republican Party put together a climate package earlier this year. So, I mean, come on. That package was a joke. That package was a joke. They're all bipartisan bills. And if you would, if I would have told you four years ago, that the House Minority Leader of the Republican Party would have a climate package, you would have told me that I was, I was a liar. You're telling me that nothing's ever good enough. And that's the problem. That is the problem right there.
1: When you bring me something, Benji, that matches what the science says we need to do, then I will say it's enough. That's it. That's really clear. Show me a plan. The Democrats have been putting plans together in both chambers, the House of Representatives and the Senate to get to net zero by 2050. The Democrats are the only ones doing this.
3: Benji, you wanna ask, Benji, when you speak to your peers, you know, do you find that there is more common ground than maybe we see? Do you find that young people are aligning or are we seeing the same political divisions kind of tearing it apart no matter matter who wants to engage here?
2: Young people look at this as they want progress and they want action now. They don't wanna wait for the perfect plan. They want action now and that's why young people are excited anytime they see progress and there is tons of unity on this issue i could speak on the same panel with the sunrise movement founder which i've done and also stake out my conservative claim for this issue and we can get along shake our hands and go fight for a lot of the same policies we're not waiting for the perfect solution. We're going to work together to get things done. We're actually just going to go go and, and, and do the solutions at the local, state, and national level. And those who have spent 40 years trying to do the same thing over and over again and waiting for the perfect solution to play politics and try to follow a number, um, those days are over.
3: Well, speaking of over, we are at the end of our episode, but I do have to get in. And it's going to be a doozy this time, I imagine, given uh, the tone of the conversation. But this is our final segment of the show where we say something nice about the opposing political party. Each of you have to. Shane, you had a good one. So I'm going to have you kick it off first.
0: All right. I'm excited about this. Uh, My say something nice. um, And this is an important one. If we talk about, you know, a degree and a half Celsius, if that's a number we're looking at. uh, Mine is about uh, Senator um, Carper from Delaware. Many interested parties, and we heard a little bit about this from Derwood Zelke when he was on earlier in the summer, have been trying uh, very hard to get legislation passed through Congress that would be the legislative equivalent of the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol. And um, this would, uh, according to the scientists, have a half a half a degree uh, Celsius impact on global warming. Um, critically important, even though it's it's not as as popular to talk about as carbon. Um, hydrofluorocarbons are very intense greenhouse gases. Uh, long, boring story short, um, there's you know been an attempt to reach agreement with Senator Barrasso and Senator Carper for quite a while now. They had a breakthrough agreement last week, which will do two things. Um, one, should this get enacted into law, it will achieve all of our shared goals of having a significant impact on uh, future climate change. And two, uh, it would actually ride along an energy efficiency bill. So if, if this actually gets done, this breakthrough, it would not only lead to a more energy-efficient economy in the U.S. in the future, but would have a significant up to one-half degree Celsius impact on global warming. So my Say Something Nice is for Tom Carper for continuing to work with Senator Barrasso and find a solution that that was amenable to both parties.
3: Brandon, do you have one?
1: I'm going to be quick today. Uh, My Say Something Nice is happy birthday to Shane. Uh, His birthday was yesterday. Uh, Thank you. And, you know, Benji, for as much as I, you know, I'm very critical Especially of late, of the of the Republican Party um, and what it's doing, uh, and how scared I am uh, of you know four more years with Trump and Republicans, you know that have enabled him, which is the entire you know DC uh, party. Uh, I do appreciate what you're doing on uh, bringing young people to care about this and pushing from within your party. I know it's a brave stance. Um, You know we we do agree on many things like electric vehicles. I just want to get there faster. Um, and, you know, but I, I, I think what you're doing with young people is really important. And so I'm grateful for your organization.
3: Benji, do you have a say something nice you could say about the opposing party?
2: Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to Brandon for that. I think what, what it comes down to is that you and I can debate here and we're still going to get offline and fight for a lot of the same things. So that's the power of this issue, I think. Um, and I'd love to work with you as much as possible. In terms of the Democratic Party, I've got a lot of nice things to say. Honestly, I'm really proud of the work that senators like Senator Carper, Senator Kuhn, Senator Manchin have done around these issues. They're they're focused on these market-based cross partisan solutions. And this kind of center left and center right working together to solve climate change is so powerful. And there are so many amazing voices on the center left who are doing that. And I and I'm really grateful for that. Um you know, Democrats have constantly been talking about this issue for decades and specifically in the last 10 years. And it's up to Republicans to do the same and work in lockstep with them. And so, you know, I have no I have no big qualms with like the quote unquote Democratic Party uh, at large. Like I, I I, think this issue of playing politics with this issue with, with climate is it, it needs to be over. And I'm, I'm ready to work hand in hand with any Democrat that wants to work alongside me, even if that's 20 percent uh, of the time.
3: Great. Well, you've got a big journey ahead of you. Uh, so we wish you luck and uh, safe, safe travels. And we will be sure to uh, to link to that and we'll be sure to look out for your new episodes as they arrive. And since you're doing a bunch of driving, don't forget to keep uh, listening to Political Climate, as I'm sure you will.
2: I really appreciate you bringing us on right you know, right before bringing ACC on, right before our, our big road trip, we've got a lot planned. We've got a lot of uplifting stories. We've got a lot of Democrats. We got a lot of Republicans. We got a lot of people who don't care about the politics about it at all. And it's gonna be a lot of fun to showcase what's happening across the country. I think it's gonna be inspiring. There's gonna be a lot of action that I hope is taken from from the podcast. And uh, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have the debate that we had here today and and hopefully many more to come and just thankful for the podcast. And you bet you bet we'll be listening to it on the on the way uh, across the country.
3: Thanks again for your time, Benji. Really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. And thanks for dealing with the wind.
3: A little bit of debate in that episode, but somehow we end on a positive note. That does it for us this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on Twitter at poly underscore climate. And don't forget to subscribe to Political Climate wherever you get podcasts.